you'd remain standing for our scripture reading, which comes from the, God, from the letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Paul writes this, So then, brothers and sisters, we ask that you encourage you in Lord Jesus to keep living the way you already are and even do better in how you live and please God, just as you learned from us. You know the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. God's will is that your lives are dedicated to him. This means that you stay away from sexual immorality and learn how to control your own body in a pure and respectable way. Don't be controlled by your sexual urges like the Gentiles who don't know God. No one should mistreat or take advantage of their brother or sister in this issue. The Lord punishes people for all these things as we told you before and sternly warned you. God didn't call us to be immoral but to be dedicated to him. Therefore, whoever rejects these instructions isn't rejecting a human authority. They are rejecting God who gives us his Holy Spirit to you. You don't need us to write about loving your brothers and sisters because God has already taught you to love each other. In fact, you are doing loving deeds for all the brothers and sisters throughout Macedonia. Now we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do so even more. Aim to live quietly. Mind your own business and earn your own living just as I told you. That way you'll behave appropriately toward outsiders and you won't be in need. Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about people who have died so that you won't mourn like others who don't have any hope. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose, so we also believe that God will bring with him those who have died in Jesus. What we are saying is a message from the Lord. We who are alive and still around at the Lord's coming definitely won't go ahead of those who have died. This is because the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the signal of a shout by the head angel and a blast on God's trumpet. First, those who are dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are living and still around will be taken up together with them in the clouds to meet with the Lord in the air. That way, we will always be with the Lord. So encourage each other with these words. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. Good morning. It's good to be with you all here this morning as we worship God together. Just a quick note before I begin, if you'll notice, the roofers are still at work. Uh, So just keep paying attention as you drive around. There's still equipment. There's still sometimes stuff blowing off the roof. Um, If you followed us on Facebook last week, uh, we've also had a lightning strike right outside the church. So we got a new transformer. So that was a lot of fun. Um, But it's been an interesting week, but it's good for us to be here together. I want to take a minute um, and just say how much I appreciate Reverend Vineyard, Ernie, our district superintendent, who filled in for me last Sunday as he preached, led worship, and offered communion. Uh, I did catch Ernie's joke as we were watching the worship stream in our car about me doing the announcements via video. I did them more because I didn't, it's easier for me to do them that way than to expect him to know what to say. Um, He didn't mess up, but that's pretty fun. And he's not here today to offend himself. Okay. Uh, Last Sunday, our family was on the road headed back to Clovis. We were between Chama and Pagosa Springs. My parents are uh, celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary in October. And so it was my parents, our family, and then my brother, his wife, and two children, which you will never see a picture of because they don't put their kids on social media. And since this church service is on social media, I guess I can't share it. Okay. And so as we got to looking at calendars, this last week was the week to go. And especially as uh, our calendar fills up with sports, church, work, and everything else in the summer. And so our family uh, did a lot of fun things, uh, meaning Jeb, Mindy, Katie, and Addison. 
uh, we went, enjoyed the mountain, exploring the mountains. Uh, we explored Pagosa Springs. You know, there's the largest hot spring in the world there. We drove to the Continental Divide on top of a mountain pass. Uh, we saw a bear in the wild, which it's right there in the middle. And I could see where people think they see Bigfoot. Um, you know, when you got a bear walking up a mountain, uh, he was in, he, it was in a field, and so I whipped around, and, and we managed to see him, and thankfully no one was behind us. Uh, we saw this pretty cool thing, twin fawns that were uh, twins that are still under spots, um, which was pretty cool. Now, and I also didn't realize that a deer has udders like a goat. Who knew? All right. Um, see, now y'all have learned something new. Okay. Last Sunday as we left, it was July 4th, and there was this bald eagle sitting in the top of a pine tree right by where we were staying, so that was pretty neat. Um, we ate Louisiana beignets, Cajun coffee. Our family rode the train, the Coombers and Toltec. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We saw some great scenery, and I think our family, of our, this Archie Four, decided it was definitely somewhere we wanted to return to check out further at some point. Um, there was a lot we would have liked to have done, but when you have a 14-year-old, a 10-year-old, a four-and-a-half-year-old, and a, a, a seven-month-old, that's a, a pretty good spread of kids. So, uh, so this morning we're going to be continuing our journey as we've been doing this summer, looking at Paul's letters to the church in, in Thessalonica. And so uh, these two short letters are letters that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica after he and Silas and Timothy had visited this city, they had preached, they had birthed a church, and then uh, as, as the church began to grow and as people's lives began to change, as we'll talk about later in this morning's worst sermon, um, people began to look and say, what is this that's part of us? What's happening in our community? And, and they didn't like it. And so in Thessalonica, as well as other cities like Philippi, a mob formed and, and they came to find Paul and Timothy and Silas and basically to, to punish them. And so in Thessalonica, they managed to flee the city before the mob reached them. And so in the letters we're reading, Paul has sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. So apparently Timothy was the safe member of the three, or he was the least noticed member when they went to Thessalonica or when they spent their time there, which makes sense because Paul was the preacher, as we know from the scripture in the book of Acts. Silas also helped, and it's usually Timothy was, was their, their scribe or person that recorded things, and he traveled with them because he was younger. And so Timothy is now returned, and Paul and, and Silas and them are in Corinth, which is down here in the south. And they're, they're hearing the report, and they're finding out the questions that the Thessalonians had. They're finding out the challenges that they're facing. And so Paul is sending a letter back, or a series of letters back, to let them know how he feels they need to, to live. And the whole time as we read this, we have to remember, when Paul is writing this letters, he has every intent to return to these churches. In fact, I think he did return to Thessalonica, maybe in his last missionary journey, but I, I'd have to go back and look at that. I, th I think he did. But he's writing all of these letters, and he's not writing them, you know, to, to correct these churches and to say, here's who you need to be, without him also saying, but I am in providing this instruction to you because I plan to return. I yearn in my heart to return. I want to be back with you. And so in our reading this morning, we're reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and to begin, 1 Thessalonians consists of five chapters. As it's uh, divided in our scripture today, we have to remember as well, though, that 1 Thessalonians was a long letter, right? 
And so I don't know about any of you, but I've never written a letter to a family member or, or someone else or a, a colleague or whatever and, and broke it out into chapters. And so we have to remember that as we read Paul's letters, okay? Is that these are letters that are written to someone. There's obviously not this, this breaking apart. There's obviously not this separation, but that biblical scholars have gone back to look at these letters and they have inserted breaks so that you and I can conveniently na navigate our way through these letters. And so in some places, the breaks certainly make sense. In some places, we might look and say, you know, that's not really where the break is. But the breaks are there, and so we just kind of have to go with it. And so in these five chapters of this letter, the first three chapters, Paul has been laying out his doctrinal foundation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And essentially, if I was thinking about it, and I was, I was looking at it this last week, and as I think we've preached about and looked at a couple of weeks ago, is really what Paul is articulating to the church is that the main thing in the Christian faith, aside from all the other things that you and I are able to do, is the very center of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he essentially is looking at the challenges. He's looking at everything else that the Thessalonians are facing. And he sees that they need to be reminded that in everything else that they are doing, if the center of the gospel is not the death and resurrection of Jesus, everything else is a moot point. Friends, that's like our worship. Like, the whole reason we gather here, the whole reason our lives are changed, the whole reason that everything is happening in the way that we practice our spiritual life and faith is because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, is it not? Because otherwise, if we don't look at that as the center of the gospel, if we don't believe that is the center of who we are and what we are and how we choose to follow God, then really there's no purpose in us being here together, is there? And so Paul's telling the Thessalonians that. He didn't want them to forget that the center of the gospel, the center of their identity as followers of Jesus Christ is the death and resurrection. And so even as they were facing distractions, even as they were facing challenges, even as they're facing all of these other things that are happening, he wants them to remember the center of who they are and the center of what they believe and the center of that which, which caused them to change their lives. And so at the end of chapter 3, Paul transitions from, from laying out this doctrinal foundation and he begins by kind of saying actual instruction, like saying, here's how you need to live because you believe all of these things. So he's laid out the foundation and now he's saying, here's how it should play out in your life. And so at the end of chapter 3, he frames the whole reason that he's providing this how you should live meant. Uh, instruction. May the Lord establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. So he's saying, we've got the foundation. I'm giving you this instruction so that the Lord may establish your hearts in holiness. And so in our reading this morning, Paul is expanding on what it means and what he means for us, for us, for us to pursue holiness as followers of Jesus Christ. And I think as we read this, this chapter of the First Thessalonians and also as we read the chapter in the, the fifth chapter next week, we need to keep at the forefront of our minds is this question of what does it mean for us to be holy? What does it mean for us to pursue holiness? What does it mean for us to engage in holy living as, as followers of Jesus Christ? 
This is certainly a question that's not unfamiliar to us as followers of John Wesley and as part of the Wesleyan faith. People who, who follow and who listen to the faith as it was articulated by John Wesley and his followers. Because in Wesleyan language or in language that John Wesley would have used, he would have asked, how are we pursuing uh, holiness or sanctification would be a phrase that he would have used. Or he would have said, how are we, we receiving or, or living into sanctifying grace? And so for Wesley, what he was saying by sanctification is he means that someone has reached the place in their life and in their faith where their faith guided their thoughts, their actions, and their beliefs to where committing sin didn't even come up. And so I think what he's saying is that when, when people are confronted or, or given the opportunity to sin, he is saying if you're sanctified, that doesn't even cross your mind because your life is so focused on God and, and you're so reflecting God in your actions and your behaviors that, that you don't even think about that. Wesley also said he only knew a few people that he felt ever reached this place in their spiritual life, which is why he taught why he pursued us striving to live a life of holiness. Not because of our own work, but because of our growth in faith with God. And so for him, sanctification was the process of becoming holy. And I think that's what Paul wants the believers in the Thessalonian church to see, is for them to use the faith that they have received, for them to build on it, and then for them to strive to become more and more like Christ Jesus. And so as Paul writes about it, and as he talks about sanctification, as he talks about holiness, he offers it and he presents it in a way that it's a past, it's a present, and it's a future. And so what Paul is, is presenting to the Thessalonians, and, and it's possible for us to look at it this way, is we can look at our faith in the past and say, you know, I have been saved. We can look at it today and we can say, I am saved. And we can even look to the future and say, I will be saved. I mean, that's sanctification. It's this past, present, and future work and goal of allowing God in our lives and of us choosing each and every day to follow Jesus Christ. And so pursuing holiness is, is this process of becoming in practice what, God are, what God's already offered us in perfection. I mean, see, here's the crazy thing, right, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and about the forgiveness that God offers us and about the grace that he gives us. God's offered it to us in full measure, but he doesn't call us to stop then, right? He calls us to move forward. He calls us to step forward. He calls us to, to pursue what he's already given us, which is forgiveness, and to shed those things that cause, that, that cause us to sin. And so our job then is to live in response, to the grace that God has offered us and to the sacrifice that he has made through his son Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4, which it was a good one, Missy. Um, sometimes you pick letters and I'm like, whew, shouldn't have picked that chapter. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Paul reminds the Thessalonians of what he taught them. And then he tells them a way, a significant way in their culture and the community of how they are to be different and how they're to live a holy life. He wants them to think of, of how the way that they are living reflects the inward change that they've already experienced as they've discovered the center of the gospel and as they have felt the impact of the Holy Spirit. So Paul lists sexual morality is something that he writes about. 
Now, of course, there's so many other things I think that Paul could have talked about. Could he have not? About eating, about, you know, interacting, about business, about, I mean, there's just so many things that he could have said, but one of the areas in this letter that he happens to lift up is identifying to the Thessalonians how they were called to be different from the culture that they were part of. Thessalonica, like much of, you know, the Greek uh, land, a Roman, you know, there's different forms and types of pagan worship that's practiced. Um, as we read about in biblical times, as well as historical records, many pagan practices had temple prostitutes and, and other things that were part of the worship service that um, the followers of Jesus, as these Thessalonians, have now withdrawn from. They're no longer participating. They're no longer interacting with what happens at the temple and, and in other places in their community. And so, in essence, they're no longer part of the culture and part of these worship practices. And so, the Thessalonian Christians, as you read in other portions of um, Paul's letters, they're like non-residents or aliens in their own community. And so, Paul's reminding them that they have to be part of the culture. They are part of their culture, but they can also not be part of their culture. That's what he's talking about when he talks about pursuing holiness. And telling the Thessalonians that, that life needed to be practiced and listened differently now that they had become followers of Jesus Christ. And so it's from this larger culture that the Thessalonians have withdrawn. They're no longer engaged in the culture in these ways. They're living in the culture without, without necessarily being part of it. Paul is reminding them and really reminding us that the Christian faith calls us to be better. Better not in the sense that we're better than other people, but better in the sense that we are pursuing holiness in our walk with God, in our walk with Jesus Christ. Or in Wesleyan language, we're pursuing the gift of grace as it works through us in sanctifying grace. And they needed to hear that the Christian faith called them to live and to be different. Friends, our world's no different. Just as the Thessalonians were, were called, we are called to a new way of living as opposed to, to what the world presents us and tells us what's permissible and tells us how things have changed. To live faithfully with those we are in a relationship, to guard who we are and what we're offering to God because God calls us not to a life of, of, of living on our own, but a life of living in response to Him, a life of holiness. Our moral life is one of the greatest ways that you and I can demonstrate our faith to God and our belief in Jesus Christ to those around us. And see, this isn't independent to the Thessalonian church, Paul's focus on morality. Go and read his letters. There's this recurring theme to every church that he writes, whether it's the Romans, whether it's the Corinthians, whether it's the Galatians, the Thessalonians, the Ephesians. In all of these letters, there's this recurring theme that I think you and I wrestle with in our own lives. Maybe we don't put it to words the way Paul does, but I think we know what it's like. Because there's this recurring theme about what it means for us to change as followers of God and as followers of Jesus Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so just as he says you wouldn't defile a physical temple, nor should we do our own bodies through through actions that, that set us back. He writes about rather than engaging in the world, we are to see ourselves and offer ourselves as something to God as our best. And time and time again, he writes that we're to be on our guard. Just as we're to be on our guard against those things in our lives that have the potential to enslave us. When we're not on our guard against those things that enslave us, we're not able to live in the freedom that Paul offers us through his Son. In Galatians 5.1, Paul writes, Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. In Galatians, Paul isn't writing about the physical act of slavery and enslaving another person. What Paul is writing to the church is that you and I, when we are not freed from the things that hold us back, we are enslaved to those things because they control us. Whether it's addiction, whether it's, you know, just all sorts of things that it can be. Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians 4 by telling the Thessalonians how they're to live. Instead of continuing to live lives as Christians within the community, uh, they've begun to withdraw. And so the second half, what Paul's talking about is, is the Corinthian, or Thessalonians, they begin to look and they've, they've received this promise that Jesus is going to return. And so for them, you know, they've got their calendars are out and they're saying it's happening tomorrow or the next day or the next day. And instead of continuing to live their lives within their community, engaging in work and doing other things, they've withdrawn. They've stopped working. They've begun gathering together, looking into the skies in anticipation for the return of Jesus Christ. Friends, I don't know about you, but I think if that happened in here, in our community, people might wonder what was going on, right? And so it's causing great consternation, great frustration in the community. And Paul's writing to them and he's saying, y'all have got to keep living your lives. Like being a follower of Jesus doesn't cause you to, to stop everything. And so he says, let me give you something else. Be known for your diligence in your work. Be known for the way you mind your own business and do your work. Be known for the quiet life that you live without causing scenes, without attracting attention. In short, what he's saying to them is be known for the way you choose to pursue holiness. Be known for the way that you respond to the grace of God in your life. Be known for the way that you relate to others and support others and help to lift others up. Be known for your faith. Friends, as I read these passages of Scripture, all that I'm left with are questions questions for myself of what does it mean for me to pursue a holy life? What does it mean for me to, to maintain morality in my life? And then to ask myself, in what areas do I need to change so that I can grow in God and pursue holiness and be known for the way I live, for the way I work, and for the way I relate to others? See, a holy life is a life that's always moving forward. There's no plateau when it comes for, for what it means for us to walk with God and with Jesus Christ. God always calls us to move forward in our relationship with Him. A holy life is powerfully transformed. It's a life that's transformed where, where God calls us to be different. He leads us to be different. And He changes us so that we reflect the holiness of God in the world. 
That's the question I leave with, is how can I reflect God into my life, into my relationships, into the work that I do, into all that I am? How do I reflect God? Amen.